Lord God, the things we've been speaking of in recent weeks, um, they are the things that are at the heart of the Christian faith. So Lord, what you wish to do in each of our lives is to come and um, reveal yourself to us that we might encounter you in Jesus. Um, what you wish to do is to come into our lives by your spirit and change us. Uh, so that we would see and know and understand, so that we would believe, so that we would have this passion for you. And God, as we've been talk, talking about being changed, and as we do so again today, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see and understand deeply um, what it is that you long for in this world. God, we pray that um, we might know that this indeed has happened in our lives, and we pray that it, it might happen through us and the lives of other people. So, Lord God, come now, we pray. Come now, right now, and speak to us. Let this not just be the words of a human being. God, we pray that as I speak, that you will bring power to the words that are of you and that they will deeply impact your people, that they might know the word of God and respond to it fully and completely with joy and with gladness. So, Lord, we, we, we look to meet with you even here, even now. And for this we pray. Doing so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have been talking in uh, recent weeks about changed. Changed. How this incredible reality uh, is possible for us, whereby God comes and, as I've prayed, moves by his spirit in the life of an individual person and transforms us deep down inside. We are changed, literally made new, the Bible says. Um, it's a miracle that God enacts. It's something that we respond to. It's something that God does in us. And, and, and um, uh, you know, the future then is transformed also. We've talked about various categories of people who have been changed in the Bible, converted. There is Saul, the one who was persecuting the church and fighting against everything Jesus stood for. And he met Christ. Remember, if you were here a few weeks ago, God, Jesus sent a beam of light on him and struck him to the ground and blinded him. And in the end, he was enabled to see and understand. And that man was incredibly changed. He became a, a leader of the church, transformed. Last week, we talked about the people who were down and out in life. The, the woman at the well, you know, someone who, man, her life was a mess by all accounts. And Jesus sat down beside her at a well and spoke to her and, and, and said, could you give me a drink of water? And through that encounter with Jesus, her life was changed, like dramatically so. I want to talk about a third category of people today. This will end our short little series on change. Study them because there are a ton of them in Scripture. Good stuff. Um, but the category we're going to look at today is people who are seeking God. Do you know anybody who is seeking God? Do you even think people are? who haven't quite come to the place of faith yet. We're going to read the story about a, a man named Zacchaeus. He, uh, he is well-known in Scripture, and we sang about him, many of us as kids. But here's a man who really wants to see and understand and know Jesus, as you will see in a minute. Let me read the story. Luke, 9, Luke 19, verses 1 to 9, says this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Note that. He's just on his way somewhere. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Noted, he wanted 
to see who Jesus was, but being a short man could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he, Jesus, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. Here's a man who encountered what the Bible calls salvation. Here's a man who met Jesus and was changed. Here's a man who was converted from what he was into what he would become. It's a a dramatic and beautiful and remarkable example of what we're talking about. Um, You know, I want to say in some ways this man uh, is like Saul, and we've looked at Saul a few weeks ago. Uh, But he's not explicitly anti-Jesus, but he's not living God's way. If you know the context at all, tax collectors were despised. Chief tax tax collectors, even more so in Zacchaeus, was that. He was collaborating with the Romans. He was stealing from his own people, the Jewish people, by taking more taxes from them than Rome required. You get the point? He was ripping them off badly. You know, his life, if you would... um, Uh, wasn't anti-Jesus, he wasn't trying to destroy Jesus, but he wasn't living in the way of Jesus by any means. Um, His life was not a mess in one way like the woman at the well, you know, apart from the fact that people hated him, which he probably didn't care about. (laughs) But apart from that, he lived a pretty good life. He had wealth, he had power, he probably hobnobbed with the leaders of the society. A lot of people probably would have envied his life probably would have wanted to share it with him. But at at a deeper level, he is kind of like the woman at the well. Because in one way, his life was pretty messed up, obviously, and he is thirsting for more. You see it? Just as she was. Verse 3. Let me read verse 3 to you. you And I want you to notice what I pointed out a minute ago. He wanted to see who Jesus was. So critical. This man is not a believer. He's not a follower of Jesus. He doesn't know much about Jesus. But there's something at work in him that wants to lay eyes on this man. There's something that intrigues him about Jesus. There's something that is drawing him to Jesus. You know, he's likely heard of this, this very different rabbi. Lots of rabbis wandered around Palestine in the time, and they had disciples too, and they taught in their own unique way. But not this, not like this one. This one was different. Jesus, you know, he, they, um, Zacchaeus had probably heard about this man's powerful preaching. You know Jesus was a preacher, right? And this preaching touched lives deeply. He probably had heard about the scrappiness of Jesus when he was having discussions with the religious leaders of his day. Jesus was like this with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and so forth, the priests. He wasn't liking what he saw in the way they were following God. He thought they were way off course. And he told them so. Zacchaeus had probably heard about the healing power of God at work in this man. Just before, as I'll mention in a minute, just before this story comes, the healing of a blind man, a blind man who literally could not see, and Jesus touched his life, and, re- and he regained his sight. Do you think Zacchaeus wouldn't have known about these things, the lame walking, the dead being raised? God's power was at work in Jesus. And, you know, of course, he's developing quite a following And a lot of people, maybe Zacchaeus too, was hoping maybe this man is indeed from God. 
I want to tell you, he wanted to see Christ, but he was short. In spite of his heart's desire, his longing to see, all these tall people were standing in front of him and he couldn't see. He couldn't see. You know, one of the significant things about these stories, and again, many others like them in the, in the New Testament, uh, is the reality of the blindness of people before they come to know and believe in Jesus. Um, remember Saul, struck to the ground, beam of light, stood up, blinded. And for three days after being led in, into Damascus, uh, he was blind. It symbolized his spiritual blindness in a physical way. But of course then, Ananias came and prayed for him and, and, and he was able to see. This kind of encapsulates conversion, doesn't it? All of a sudden, some, something takes us from not getting it, not understanding it, not seeing it, and all of a sudden we can see it. The story, as I've said, immediately prior to the one in Luke 19, right at the end of chapter 18, is a story about a blind man being given a sight. Not only was he given physical sight, he was given spiritual sight too. Because if you were blind and one named Jesus came along and did that sort of thing in you, you'd believe in him too, wouldn't you? And then immediately after that, this, that story, and it's not just coincidental, comes this story of a man who wanted to see Jesus but couldn't. He's not physically blind, but he still can't see Christ. Before we come to this place of change, we don't get it. We don't understand. There's a lack of vision and understanding and insight in our minds and in our hearts. So what does he do? He climbs a tree. It's almost comical. Can you imagine if it had been you? I really want to see Jesus, so I'm going to climb a tree because I'm short. So that when he walks by, I can see him. And then, of course, Jesus sees him and talks to him. And it's funny. <laughs> But this man is going to do all he can in order to see Jesus. His heart longs to connect with him. He's intrigued by Christ. And he does what he needs to do. I want to tell you, he represents people in our world who are seeking God. Maybe people here who don't know Jesus, but you're intrigued. Maybe people here who know there's something more in life and you haven't laid hold of it yet, and you're here to maybe check it out. You know, there's something about Jesus that just intrigues people at various times in life. And these people become seekers. This is evidence of the Spirit of God working in them already. Because remember, we're born, if you would, into sin, and we're walking this way. We're walking away from God. We want nothing to do with Him. We're living in rebellion against God until something starts to change us. And we turn around and say, what's going on over there? These are the seekers of our world. These are the people who are on their way, if you would, to Jesus. And I want to tell you, it seems to me that there are a lot of, a lot of people in this very secular and anti-Christian and anti-faith culture that we live in. Their physical needs are met. They may even be wealthy, but spiritually, where are they at? They're broke. They're poor. You know, there's an emptiness in them, and there's something that's longing for more. Just like the, the woman at the well, there's a thirst for deeper spiritual fulfillment that they somehow haven't been able to find. That's Zacchaeus, isn't it? That's him. Now, I might be wrong, but as I look at, uh, at the culture, there probably are the souls, those who are hostile. There are to Jesus. And there probably are the women at the well, those who have kind of bottomed out and their life is a bit of a mess. And there are lots of folks like that. But and this is just speculation on my part, but it seems to me that most people in our country are like Zacchaeus. A ton of them. You know, we're well off as a, as a country. You know, we're the envy of the world. We, we're told repeatedly in surveys, Canada is one of the best places in the world to live, right? And it is. See, our physical needs have been met. 
we're materially in good shape. So often, a lot of money in the bank, so often. But many people in this country without God. Many people who can't see and many, many people who don't understand, but they're seeking something. Do you know any people like that? I bet you you do, whether you know it or not. See, the Bible says and, 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 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's a funny sort of little phrase, isn't it? We're born this way. We're born alienated from God. We're born walking away from God in rebellion against him. What that means, dead in trespasses and sins, is we're spiritually dead. What does that mean? There's no spiritual life in us. It's not there. This connection with God, this desire for God, this experience of God. But in that place, in the lives of some people, God starts to work. And he wakens up in them a thirst for him. A hunger for more in life than the material things in this world, which they often possess, give to them. You know, they've got it all, but they're not content, and they're not satisfied, and somehow they know it. And they start looking. So into the life of such a man 2,000 years ago, what did Jesus do? Well, number one, again, he took initiative as he walked by that tree and called out Zacchaeus' name. You know, just like Saul, he, who, who, when Jesus sent the beam of light, Jesus took the initiative, right? Knocked him to the ground and started speaking to him, just like the woman at the well who came and would never have addressed Jesus because women and men didn't talk and he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan, Jesus opened his mouth and asked the question, could you give me a drink of water? He took the initiative. He reached out to her, you know? And in this instance, he came along when he saw this seeker and recognized him as such. And he called up to Zacchaeus and said, come on down, I want to eat dinner at your place. Right? And in this culture, many of you will know this, to eat with someone was to open your life to them. It was to accept somebody into your life and, and to desire a close relationship with them, far more so than in our culture. And for a rabbi to eat and want to eat with a chief tax collector, as we read, was a scandal. The people grumbled, the text says, or annoyed at him. What are you, what are you talking with him for? What are you eating with him for? Why, why are you inviting him into a relationship with you? What's going on? Didn't like it. He was the enemy. But it didn't bother Jesus. What we see here is Jesus offering relationship to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus saying yes. I just want to stop right now. Um, and I wonder over the course of this series is if, if there are people, churched or unchurched, it doesn't matter whether you sense a new presence of Jesus in your life and you sense Jesus offering you relationship like he offered it to, to Saul and like he offered it to the woman at the well who was nameless and he's, as, as he offered it to Zacchaeus. And you just hear him say to you in your heart of hearts, I am here and I want to have dinner with you. I want to open my life to you. I want you to open my life, your life to me. All it takes is, uh, is a response of yes. Come in. Come into my life. So, so Jesus took that initiative and he made the offer and, and Zacchaeus said, yes, it's the, it's the defining of, of this encounter. But I want to suggest 
something again here today that in doing this, Jesus did something incredibly different than what was normal in his society. You get that? He did something dramatically different. <laughs> and that's again how Jesus has operated in these stories that we have looked at. Like literally, Jesus in heaven, the resurrected son of God, wanting to take hold of Saul's life. What does he do? He sends a beam of light, knocks him to the ground and blinds the guy. That's different. Who does that? Jesus did that. <laughs> and then with this woman at the well, you just don't talk to Samaritans and you never talk to a woman. He stepped out of the norm. He did something abnormal, significantly different in reaching out to her and inviting her into a relationship with him. And so he does it here. He stops. He calls out to the despised filthy, rich, traitor. He says, I want to come to your place for dinner. Let's have a relationship together. You see, my friends, I want to tell you, this, this is conversion. This is it. This is Jesus walking into our lives. It's Jesus saying to us, I want to have a relationship with you. And that's exactly what happens in Zacchaeus' experience. Let me read verse 8 to you, chapter 19, verse 8. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, this is after dinner, by the way. We don't know what happened over dinner, but something happened. Listen to the difference. Said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's different. <laughs> something has changed in this man's heart. He, you know, Jesus has come, and they've had this conversation, and he has encountered the living God over the dinner table, and through relationship, the man has been made new. No longer is he ripping off the poor. He's giving half of his wealth to the poor. All of a sudden, instead of wanting to abuse them financially, he wants to be generous to them. He's changed. God has done something deep down inside his heart. No longer, again, is it, can we put that back up, please? No longer is he trying to rip people off. He's making restitution for the wrong that he has done. You get right with God, you want to get right with human beings. You see this? And not only does he give them back what he's taken for them, he's done it four times over. Apparently a very wealthy man <laughs> to be able to do this. You know, all of a sudden he doesn't care so much about wealth. What he cares about is love and righteousness and generosity and caring and being good to people. Talk about change. It's dramatic. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this famous verse. This means, this is, by the way, is the Jesus hating Saul who's become the Jesus following Paul. He writes this to the Corinthian church. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ entered into that relationship Call Jesus Lord, as Zacchaeus did, has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. The new life has begun. I want to tell you, my friends, this is the most dramatic, exciting, wonderful thing that God can do in a human life. Is to come and change them. Transform them internally. So much so that we, hear this, over time, because, you know, we are changed actually, but it takes us time to figure out how to live it because we have all the habits that have to die and we have to dig into scripture and we have to be matured and discipled in faith. But we can come to a place where we have the heart of Jesus. 
you can have the heart of Jesus. Just like Zacchaeus came to possess that love and that grace, that joy, that generosity, change, powerful, and real. I want to tell you, that's God's passionate desire for every single person in this room. And I want to say, if you haven't encountered it, be open to this, receive it, because Jesus is here literally to say, can I have dinner at your place? Can I have a relationship with you? Can I come into your life and be your Lord? Can I come into your heart and change it? Can I come into your mind and let you see things maybe you've never seen before so that you can see like me and have the heart that I have and live the life the way I live, lived and still do? Man, what an offer this is for human beings. You see, my friends, this is the work of God in us. And this is the intention of God for us, which is accomplished by the power of his Holy Spirit. So much so that we come to this place and we enter a relationship by faith and we say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. And I open my home, but more than that, my heart to you. And change comes. And the angels in heaven celebrate. Jesus said, when one sinner comes to repentance. I want to tell you, not only is that there for us, but we as a church and as we as individual people, we can learn to be like Jesus. These have been my two themes throughout the, these sermons. Um, I want to note again in verse, in verse 1, it just says that Jesus was just passing through. He was just doing life. He was walking along one day when someone who was seeking God caught his attention. And again, I ask you, do you know anyone like that? And my assumption is that every single one of us knows someone like that. We might not know it yet, but I bet you we know someone like that because God goes ahead of us and he works in the hearts of human beings. And he nurtures a hunger and a thirst for more. You know, people who are financially well-off but spiritually poor and somehow know it, they're dissatisfied with life. And they are saying, this can't be all. Um, we can be like Jesus, and we too can take the initiative to get to know such people. We can become like Jesus in this. And we can say, hey, let's sit down and have coffee. Let's have lunch together if it's a work associate. We can invite people into our houses. Better yet, according to the text, we can get them to invite them into theirs. We can just open up our lives and say, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. And it doesn't matter what they have done, and it doesn't matter how they are living. I want to tell you, this will require something different in us, because if you are like me, and I know many of you are, we have grown up with a history of not doing what Jesus did here. If there was a, a chief tax collector of whatever sort in our world, you know, the history of the church in North America is to say, leave them alone, stay away from them, they're sinners, don't, don't touch that person, you know, keep your distance. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians, uh, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse uh, 17. It says this, therefore, come out, this is a quote from the Old Testament, Paul again writing, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. 
Now, there's an interpretation of that text, which says, if they're sinful people, you don't go near them, touch no unclean thing, and then I'll receive you into my arms, be separate from them, you know, distinguish yourself from them, back away. If that interpretation of that verse is correct, Jesus really blew it with Zacchaeus. Like, he was way off base. If that interpretation is correct, Jesus blew it. No, I want to tell you what is not wrong is Jesus' example. What is wrong is the interpretation of that verse. Because what Jesus does is the exact opposite. He moves toward this man who was seeking him, yes, but who the whole world was condemning as a sinner. And you know what Jesus asked? And he was condemned for it, by the way, and it was a scandal in his experience. You know what Jesus is asking us today through his word, my friends? You know what Jesus is asking is this. He's saying, will you do something scandalous for me, IPC? Will you do something where people will be yapping about you and condemning you like they once condemned me just because you've got a heart of love for people who are far from God? Different, isn't it, for many of us? I want to tell you, if we will open up our lives and open up a relationship to people who are far from God and who may be seeking Jesus... Um, in that context, then we have the opportunity to show them the reality of who Jesus is. Um, we can live like Jesus did, and they can see Christ in us. Now, this does mean, A, we need to be converted, and B, we need to grow in faith, and C, we need to allow the transformation that takes place in our hearts to play itself out in our lives. We've got to become different from the world. We've got to become like Christ. But if we come to that place, all of a sudden, people with whom we are in relationship will start to see the compassion of Jesus and the care that he has for individuals. You know, they're going to start to see his grace, which refuses to judge people for their behavior. He, he refused to judge this man. He would only love him. They're going to start to see the love of God through Christ, through us. As they encounter a relationship with us, they're going to start to see the joy of Christ in us. They're going to start to hear the wisdom of Jesus in us. And ultimately, they're going to hear the thinking, the truths of Jesus through us. You see, see, the reality is that that people will be drawn to him in us. They will be intrigued by Jesus in us. They They will want to know more of Jesus because of us if we're in relationship with them. <clears throat> I heard someone say, <clears throat> excuse me, about a year ago, and I've written it down, and this is the place to bring it to you. I love this quote. I love it. It's not that we should be knocking on doors so that we can tell people about Christ. It is that people should be knocking on our doors asking us what makes us so different. It's not that, you know, once we went and knocked on doors, power evangelism, James Kennedy, let me, you know, where are you going to go if you die tonight? We were kind of doing that. Our initiative should not be knocking on doors and walking away. Our initiative should be relationship. And in the context of that relationship, as people see Christ alive in us, they're going to come to a place where we're not forcing anything on anybody. They're saying, can you please tell me what's going on in your life? Because I want just a little bit of it. I want to go there too. I want the peace. I want the joy. I want the faith. I want the love. I want to be like you. But it's not you, it's Jesus. And this is what, this is what uh, the potential is in us as a, as a people of God. 
So here's what I want to ask you, IPC. And if you're visiting with us today, you can join in if you like. But I want to ask you, this week and this fall, I, I want to limit it to that, because everybody begins somewhere, right? I want to ask you to do something dramatically outside the norm. I want you to do something incredibly different, just as Jesus did something different. You know, as a church, we do not prioritize, if you would, individual evangelism. Again, that is historic in our experience. But what we encourage is small groups reaching out, going out together. And a lot, 60% of this church meets once a week in homes, usually, to pray, to read scripture, to grow together, to love one another. It's phenomenal. That's a high number for any church. I want it to go, go this way, by the way. But I think it's awesome, you know. Um, but here's what I want to ask you, those of you who are in small groups, <clears throat> and I mean life groups, and I mean small groups that form as part of Impact, our men's ministry, and small groups that, part, that form as part of Sisterhood, our women's ministry. Um, do something dramatically different by stepping out of the norm. And here, here's what the norm is for us, and it's a good thing, but the norm is to gather together, to love one another, to encounter Christ among us, to be transformed and changed, right? That's what we do. Keep doing it. It's a good thing. You have to do this. But the dramatically different thing might come if we start to say something different and we say, we're going to take initiative and we're going to go out and serve as a group of people in our community who don't know God. And we're going to trust that God, as we take maybe that one night in four in a month, we're going to trust that God has gone before us and he's going to be preparing hearts and there are going to be seekers out there who we will start to rub shoulders with. And as we start to rub shoulders with them, they're going to see Jesus in us. And as they start to see Jesus in us, it's not us begging them to become Christians, it's them saying to us, please tell me what you've got. Because my life needs what you've got. See, we have to rub shoulders with the souls of our world and with the women at the well in our world. And we need to rub shoulders with the Zacchaeuses of this world if we're going to build relationship and if we're ever going to have any hope of telling them about this precious thing that we have called a relationship with Jesus Christ. So life groups, small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, leaders of those in particular, but participants just as much, I suppose, Will you do something different this fall? Will you be like Jesus? Individuals uh, who are here, again, how many people this week uh, that you will bump into, rub shoulders with, uh, how many of them are already where Zacchaeus was at? Hungry for God, looking for something more. Probably lots of them. And they need someone just to tell them of Jesus. Just tell them of Jesus. So who here will do something abnormal this week, this fall? You know, everybody wants to be normal, right? Everybody wants to keep doing what we've always done because doing what we've always done is comfortable and we like it. Being abnormal, standing out from the crowd, choosing change, not something we fully embrace or not quickly. But will you do it? I want to finish with a couple of thoughts, a couple of thoughts. The first one is this. This has struck me through the course of this series. 
Can you imagine if what Jesus did this day and in the other examples, reaching out, intervening in people's lives, building relationship with them, telling them about God, can you imagine if this was the norm here? Take a minute and imagine it. That all of us gave passionate priority in our lives to loving people into the kingdom of God. What would it be like here if that was the norm? I think God would just come alive in our lives in a beautiful and a wonderful way. And we would see him work and we would have, we would have incredible joy and we would have excitement because we were, we were part of something God was doing. You know, what, you know what would also happen? Every one of these seats in service one and service two would start to fill up. And we would probably need service three and service four. And it would probably half kill me, but I'd be thrilled. I would be thrilled because, you see, this is the heart of Jesus. This is what he calls us to. And this is what he wants to do through us. You understand that? This is what he, this is what he longs for. And, and he will act by his spirit through us if we'll just step out of the norm and into something different. Last thought. I want to read to you verse 10 from the New Living Translation. Jesus' words, for the Son of Man came, Jesus speaking of himself, messianic title, for the Son of Man came, why? Why did Jesus come? And answer it in lots of ways. This is one of the ways Jesus answered it. He's speaking, so we better listen, right? For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. In his heart. You know what's really cool? Jesus came to seek the seeker. Jesus came to seek the seeker and to open his arms to them. And as they are looking for him to identify himself and to show the heart of God and to, to invite them into relationship with him, so much so that they would say yes, and he would just take them in his arms and make them his own. That's Jesus' desire still. And it's his desire for us to participate with him, for we are the body of Christ. So my friends, late summer challenge. I want you to think about this one. I do. Uh, both as small group participants, you 60%. And by the way, mid-September sign up, let's make it 80. Wouldn't that be cool? Life groups, small groups and impact, small groups and sisterhood. Will you think about this? Will you embrace the opportunity to be what Jesus was and what he calls us to be. So that we're rubbing shoulders with people who might ultimately say yes to him. Oh, so cool. And as you go to work or as you go to school, as you go maybe another bit of holiday time, I don't know where you're going to go. Wherever I go, I'll be thinking about this. You can't preach it and not do it, right? You can't. You can't preach it and not care about it. Well, you could be a, like a hypocritical liar, I suppose, but I don't think that's me. But wherever we go, will we, will we have eyes open to see? Will we be seeking the seekers as Jesus once did? Because if we will, there will be Zacchaeus's pop up in our lives whom we can love. And through us, they'll see Jesus. And they'll come knocking on our door, say, could you tell me what you've got? 
because I want it to. So are you, are you there? How many people here are passionate to be part of this? Is it in your heart? I pray that it is. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Gracious God, um, boy, your word is so powerful. And when we just dwell on it, there's such um, profound messages in it. Um, and today, Lord, there may be people here who have heard of you but never opened their lives to you and entered into the relationship that you wish for, to have with them. And for, today, and for them, today is an invitation, as it was last Sunday and as it was the Sunday before. Lord, you invite them into your embrace, into your relational world to be their Lord and their Savior. And all they need to do is say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Um, I invite you to come into my life and to be my Lord. And, I, and God, we pray that such people who are here today will do that very thing. Um, but God, being yours also brings us from your word these dramatic challenges. And they're not, they're not insignificant. They're big. And today, God, you have called us as a church through this text, not only as individuals, but as a church to be like Jesus. So, Father, we pray this morning for all of those small groups in our church. And we pray that each one of them will grapple with this when they gather together in a little while. And we pray, God, more than anything else, that we might have the heart of Christ in us, which propelled him into this sort of activity. Lord, give us this grace to be like Jesus. God, give us the heart to be like him. Give us the desire to be like him. So that through us, many people like Zacchaeus and Saul and the woman at the well might see and discover Jesus and know him as we know him today. These things we pray in Christ's name.